My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Oliver Cock. Now, he is the Managing Director at Communisys, and before this, he was the MD of Food Buy for Compass Group. Ollie has a reputation for building strong, motivated teams, and this is something that I've seen firsthand. So I'm really keen to explore the mindset that makes this happen. Ollie, how's it going for you today? It's going good, Angela. It's been, uh, it, it's kind of, what is it, eight weeks into lockdown. I've still just about got my sanity. So, yeah, it's going okay. Sun's shining. Well, we have been very lucky with the weather, haven't we? But it, I have to say, I haven't set eyes on you now for probably the best part of three years, for even maybe yeah. even four years. And it's an absolute joy to see you. So, Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, if you've listened, you'll know that we start with what I call a shake your pom poms moment, which is all about you being your own cheerleader. We don't do this often enough. Um, And so I'd love it if you'd start with sharing your three proudest moments with us. My three proudest moments. Well, I think I'd have to start with becoming a dad. And, I, and I'll cram becoming a dad twice into one moment because I think that was probably, still is, I guess, the most life-defining thing that's ever happened to oh. me. Um, uh, and I've got two daughters now who are 22 and 18. So um, I, I think they would still be, they would still be up there. I think getting 25 years of marriage last year oh. that, was proud. Um, that was fairly amazing I think my wife would regard it as almost miraculous um, <laughs> given who I am and actually I, th- I think the third one would be I think the response from the team when I left food buy and the response from some of my suppliers and my clients and um, that was that was overwhelming. I, I you know, I, I love being part of that business. I love building it. It was a wrench to leave. The response I got when I left was, yeah, um, my daughters would be very, very embarrassed because I was very emotional when I left, and I, I didn't, I didn't think I would be as much as I was. That was very, very, you know, I felt sad but really proud of what I built when I left there. So, there you go. I'm not I'm really not surprised by that because you know for me observing you in Compass Group because I work there too you were part of the DNA of that business and I was really surprised actually when 
I heard that you'd left because it, I mean, you were just the backbone of it in my view. Um, so it's lovely to hear that, you know, people agreed with, with how I'd seen you as well and that response that you had. But I love the fact that your proudest moments include family as well. And, you know, silver marriage, that's a, that's a milestone indeed. But, you know, that, that balance of work and home life is so very important. And we'll talk about that more as we move through. But it'd be lovely to just explore a little bit more about the role that you've got now and and your career I suppose over the years and then we can understand what you do and where you've come from yeah that works so where, where do you want me to start oh let's start at the beginning every time let's start at the beginning so I, I I started off um I started off in the NHS so I did a graduate training scheme the reason I got into purchasing and supply which is a which is a bit of a circuitous route was I, I, I when I was at university I didn't know what I wanted to do I had no idea I was very good and I've been all, very good throughout my career in knowing what I don't want to do um but I didn't know what I, <laughs> I didn't know what I did want to do. And actually, what I worked out was I kind of went to who do I want to work for? What organization do I want to work for? And I, I felt like, look, the NHS, that's worthwhile. That, that's doing something positive. And I, and I can't be a doctor because I'm not, you know, I'm not scientific. My brain doesn't work that way. So why don't I go and work for the NHS? And so it was a very conscious decision on that's the organization I want to work for. And I got accepted onto this grad scheme. And then another one came up that said, we'll, we'll do a graduate training scheme, management training scheme, and we will pay for you to do this thing called purchasing. Started Institute of Purchasing Supply, we'll pay for you to do some exams. And I kind of thought, okay, that sounds interesting. Somebody's going to pay me to do some training. I'll do that. And that's how I ended up kind of getting into purchasing. Um, but I spent... I spent about eight years in the NHS, and it was a brilliant place to learn. You, you kind of understood from day one your importance in the value chain. You know, I was not the, you know, I wasn't the end point. I was, a, I was facilitating something else. And I think that's always stayed with me because I think it's so important in any organization, especially when you're, you know, in a functional role to understand what your role is. And our role was to save money so you can treat more patients and that's really simple nice and it was a really good place to learn and you know very challenging I mean I was buying I ended up buying you know heart valves and hips and x-ray machines and all sorts of different <laughs> things I specialized in medical and surgical kind of single-use products um and I, I got to a, a I was the national purchasing manager for the for England when I was about I think it was about 25 and it was a really, a really good role. But I, 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 I left. I, it was beginning when the NHS was starting to get privatised and they started to make decisions that were based on making a profit. And I kind of thought, I'm working for the public sector and I'm making a profit out of the public sector. Yeah, I don't know. That's not. Um, so I became a little bit disillusioned. And I think I thought, if I'm going to do this and... and people were making decisions that I didn't feel were the, in the best interest of the patient or in the best interest of the NHS. I thought they lost their way a little bit. I thought, actually, if I'm going to go and work and make a profit, let me go and work for somebody who should make a profit. Yes. Um, so I, 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 I wasn't quite sure what industry to work in. I kind of blagged my way into <laughs> consulting. So I joined Deloitte Consulting. I convinced them they needed a purchasing person. They had a supply chain practice all about trucks and sheds and I kind of said you need a purchasing person and um, I did three 
three and a half years with Deloitte, really enjoyed it, very challenging. I think I knew from day two that I did not want to be a career consultant in Deloitte because it was all about, you know, how do you become a partner and how do you push yourself forward? And I thought, that's not me. But you know what? For three and a half years, great exposure, great experience, worked very hard. And actually, it was, it was, it was becoming a dad that made me leave because it was the, it was the work-life balance. I, I, yeah. I did a deal. I did a deal with, um, with Deloitte when my wife was pregnant that said, six months either side of the birth, I'm not traveling. I need to be home. And, and they were good. And they said, that's fine. But we'll pick which industry you work and what project. I went, yeah, that's, a, that's fair. I, that's a fair compromise. But as I was coming out of the six-month period after, after Ella was born, I could begin to look at what's, what, what options have I got? And it was like, you know, let's go for work for 18 months in Basel in Switzerland and go on a Monday and come back on a Friday. And I thought, not really. <laughs> what? Um, and I, I'd actually got, funnily enough, I got headhunted. I got rung up by a headhunter about a job in Diageo the day after my daughter was born. And I said, wow. to, I look, I can't even talk to you. Can't even contemplate. Just become a dad. Go away. Can't think about it. And they came back. Um, and said, look, we've still got this role like three months later. What do you reckon? And I thought, okay, didn't know who Diageo were. Went into their offices, saw a wall of whiskey. And, vodka, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this I'm is in. I'm in. What's the job? <laughs> this is brilliant. Um, and it, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a brilliant move. Um, so it was just after Diageo had been formed. It was a great, great company. And I did 11 years there. I did a variety of purchasing and supply chain roles, kind of got a little bit more senior, went to the US for three years, did an assignment there. Absolutely brilliant. Came back and, and was, you know, I was happy. I was okay. It was a great organization. Little bit of itchy feet in terms of I've been here 10, 11 years. If I don't go now, I'm probably not going to go. And Compass came calling. And... Um, and it was for a chief procurement officer role. And there was a little bit of me. And it's probably the only time in my career that I've done a move to get a specific role, like, like a title. Yes. Because, I, because I'd been, whatever it was, 18 years or whatever in purchasing at that point in time, there was a little bit of me that said, I want to be a CPO. And Compass went, we've got a CPO role. And I looked at Compass and I met, I was working for Richard Cousins. Um, and he's a, you, you, you knew Richard. He was a pretty charismatic guy, yeah. interesting bloke to work for. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's going to do this. And I, I joined, joined as CPO. And I probably within six, seven months thought, oh, God, I've made a terrible mistake. Because not, not because I didn't like the business, just because the corporate center was such a, it was such a dull, dry environment. <laughs> and, and it was this global role trying to influence people in countries and the pace of change was slow. And I couldn't, I couldn't put my arms around a tea. I couldn't kind of go, this is mine. This is how I drive it forward. And I'd kind of been maybe, I don't know, 12, 18 months in. And I was beginning to think, I don't know that I want to keep doing this. I loved the business. I just didn't like the role. And then Richard rang me up, called me back from Canada. He rang me twice in my entire... I worked for him for two years. He rang me twice in, my, in two years. One was to give me a bollocking. Um, <laughs> the second time he said, can we have a chat? And I was like, oh, geez, uh, Richard, yeah. I was thinking... 
oops, and I was in Canada at the time, and I went, uh, I'm in Canada. When are you back? I'm back tomorrow. Can you come in and see me? Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I was beginning to think what it is. And he, and he said, as he, and I always remember, he said, it, as he came off the call, he said, there's something I want to talk about left field. And I thought, right, left field. No, left field. You don't bollock somebody off left field, do you? That's not really. No. I kind of twigged. I knew the UK business was challenging. I'd spent a lot of time looking into the UK part of Compass and the procurement bit and thought there were. So I kind of twigged. And he came in and said, look, we think there's a role. You know, we think we'd like you to come and do this role in the UK. And I went, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. And um, and then I spent whatever it was, seven, eight years kind of transforming the UK bit, then building food by. Loved that. And then I got to I, I got to a point probably the summer of 2018 where I began to go, what's next? What's the next stage? Because I felt I'd taken food by and I'd helped set the business up. How can I take it forward? And there was a little bit of a divergence in terms of what I wanted to do and what Compass wanted me to do with the business. And I thought, actually, do you know what? I, I've taken this in the current environment. I've taken this as far as I can. Now's the time to take a step back. So I took a I kind of left, which was a really difficult decision, um, really difficult to do. But I left at the end of December, took some time out, took three months, did not a lot for three months, got itchy feet. And then I got approached by Communisys. And it was it was really interesting. Communisys, the bit of the business that that I work for is is a it's a it's a retail marketing organization. So we buy retail point of sale for big FMCG brands. So they kind of wanted somebody with a supply chain thing. They wanted somebody with some you know, experience of those big brands, which I had. But most of all, it was a transformation. It was a transformation of the of the organization. And it, it was described to me as a, as a business that was kind of needing some new leadership, needing a new direction, needed to go to the next level. And I thought, fantastic, you know, great opportunity to go and, and, and take that on. And I joined in July, end of June, beginning of July last year. Um, wow. So not quite a year. So. So a whistle-stop tour there of, of what yeah. is a, a significant career with lots of twists and turns. There's things that were popping out for me in that, you know, that, that strong reason why that you connected with in the NHS role that you had. And also you use the, the term transformation a number of yeah. times as well. So I'm keen to get under the skin of what drives you to be the best that you can be in a, in a leadership capacity and indeed just as, as the, you know, the guy that you are. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it does stem back to when I first started. I- I've always just wanted to make an impact. I've always wanted to improve things. And um, I think, you know, I think if I look back at my career, the times where I got itchy and the time were where I either felt I wasn't making the impact I wanted to or you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't as motivated. So I think when I if I when I when I left Diageo, it was like I'm I'm managing the status quo, and and I'm not good at managing the status quo. Uh-huh. I, I get I kind of get restless. I want I want to keep evolving and I want to keep changing. And either you know, if an organisation ever gets the point, I think where if you ever think you've done it, you know, that's when you start going backwards. I've always had that just want to keep moving forward i want to make an impact and i want to keep improving things and if i'm if i'm improving things i'm happy and if i'm not then i'm not you know and therefore i kind of i i kind of get itchy um and i think i've always had that desire to be making a positive impact yeah. um, 
And as long as I'm doing that and I feel it's the, I'm making a positive impact in something that matters. And, and, you know, when I started off, it was the NHS and the NHS mattered and the end product mattered. And clearly it still does. I think as I've got older and as I've kind of progressed through my career, it's about making an impact to people. It's about helping them do their jobs better. It's about, you know, seeing their careers progress and if I stop being able to do that, then I don't feel fulfilled and then I'm not happy. And then I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, perfect point. It's about that fulfillment and making yeah. sure that you you know that you're making a difference. Yeah. Yeah, really. I, I like that a lot. And I guess, you know, in a, in a career that you've had and the different organisations, there must be times when you faced adversity um, and you know whenever we're in that situation generally we learn something so it'd be lovely to just explore with you the lessons you've learned I suppose along the way and, and how that shaped you. Yeah um, yeah I think I think I mean I think it is an it's an important part of anybody's armory to a certain extent um, uh, in terms of overcoming adversity, even, even if it's small challenges, you know, I don't know, in a purchasing career, you know, suppliers go bust or products don't work or anything like that. You, you, you always do learn. And I, and I think what, I, what I've what i taken out of it, and there's probably, you know, there's there's probably two or three moments. And, and I, remember, I remember being in the US when Hurricane Katrina hit, and I'd probably been there, it was 2005, so I'd been there maybe eight months. And, you know, it... it it had a massive impact on our supply chain. It had a, it like wiped out my savings for the year. I just kind of they were gone in a in a weekend because the oil price went up and some factories were knocked out, supplies and things like that. Um, and now, if I look back at that, you know, w- what I learned through that was you dust yourself down. You know, you kind of go, okay, what can I do here? And I knew from day one that you, I couldn't get back to. You know, I was never going to get. I was like, it was like twenty-five million dollars of savings was my oh. target, roughly, and our cost went up twenty-five million dollars almost overnight. Oh, God. oh, what do you do? So, so then, and I knew I could never get back. You, you, you know that. So then it was like, but what can you do? Where else could you go? What else? And I was looking after other parts. I was looking after marketing materials, a bunch of other things. Yeah, but I can make improvements here, and and you kind of rally the team behind you, and you get that. There's a, there's a there's a philosophy well, there's a there's a, a a kind of there's a book and a company I've worked with over over the last few years that I wish I'd have known ten years ago twenty years ago. The guy called Ben Hunt Davis and Tom Barry run this company called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster. Um, and actually, they they have a couple of lovely phrases. What one they talk about bounce back ability, and that ability to go okay, you take the hit. I remember my boss giving me a right rollicking on the Monday morning going, what have you done? And I was sitting thinking, I, I don't remember causing Hurricane Katrina. I'm really <laughs> confident that wasn't me. Are you sure? Yeah. Like, he was like, what, you, what have you let happen? I was like, I don't, well, I don't know. Um, but, but it allowed me to kind of go, okay, you dust yourself down, you take it and you go, okay, right, now what am I going to do? And that, that ability to go, right, you, you know, and, and the other phrase they talk about is this kind of control the controllables. Yeah, you know, circle of influence yeah. stuff. Yeah, you, you can't do. I can't do anything about that. I can't change the oil price. What can I do? What What can I do? How do I rally the team around me? And and I think, you know, uh, I, I think that's what I learned from that. And I remember going through the old Horsegate thing when we were in uh, when we were in Compass Group in the UK and all that kind of food fraud and a similar kind of thing. What can you do? What do you learn? 
Um, and, and once you've done it once, you can always go back to it. So I remember going through Horsegate and when it first started hitting and you first start looking at this going, Jesus, this is really complicated and it's challenging. And then you go, OK, so when have I encountered this in the past? How have I overcome? Oh, hang on a moment. I can go back to this. You remind yourself of all the times that you've doubted yourself and you remind yourself of I got through that. Bingo. So, you know, you do it once. And uh, even when I remember, even when I was going through the Hurricane Katrina thing, searching my mind for when have I when have I hit problems that I've overcome to just give myself that little confidence boost to yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah do this. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I love the bounce back ability. I think I think if I was if I was to pick one thing that in my career that I think I've got, it's bounce back ability. I, I can yeah. take box and you just go, OK, done. And I'll, I'll you know, you mope. It, it, I, I shorten the amount of time I mope now. I'm kind of, you know, I'm much quicker at going, yeah, okay, done. Go go for a walk, half an hour, get it out of my head, right back. Now what do I do? Um, yeah, and, and that moping time is sometimes important, isn't it? Paul McGee yeah. calls it hippo time, just allowing yeah. yourself to, to wallow a little bit. Yeah. But then as you say, that circle of influence, what can you control? What action can you take to pull yourself out of it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Love that. Um, and, uh, and you mentioned in there, obviously, rallying the troops and having the team around you. And it's certainly what you were known for in Compass Group. So what are the strengths and what are the traits that you look for in people in order to strengthen the things that perhaps you're not so good at? Um, well, I think I think it, I think it's a really good question. I think that I, I always and I have always looked for inquisitiveness in people. I, like I, I love people that ask why. And challenge and things like that. And um, you know, I, I know I have it. I, w- I remember when I was at school. You know, I, I couldn't learn stuff unless I knew why. I was rubbish at learning stuff by you know just reading it and learning it. If I could understand it, it's probably why I was never a scientist because I could never understand it. Um, <laughs> so so I, I look for that. I look for that inquisitiveness. Um, I, I think I look for a level of transparency. I like because I think it, you know that. It's a bit like your, you know, the, the 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 hippo, the wallowing analogy. It's normal when when people, you know, when you get hit with a problem, it's fine. It's it's fine to be. Do you know what? I'm finding that really difficult. And I look for people that have that level of openness and transparency because you you know it's human. You're looking for human people. I don't want people that are going to put a barrier up and I don't know what they're thinking. I I, lo- I like people to share what they're thinking. Um, I like to understand why, because even if you don't agree with them, you can understand where they're where they're kind of coming from. It plays into that kind of vulnerability piece, doesn't it? Yeah. And and my experience working with lots of organisations is is vulnerability can be seen as weakness, and and lots of people are afraid to show their vulnerability. So as a senior leader, what's your take on that in terms of how how you show up with vulnerability and and how you encourage that in others? I think I think it's really interesting this because because I, I remember going through a, an experience when I was at Diageo where th- they did this leadership development program for their senior leaders and and it was led by the exec. So I mean they used some professional companies to kind of uh, work alongside them, but but it was led by exec. And I remember going through this this whole thing around they assigned everybody coach. It was a massive program massive investment uh-huh. so one of one of the reasons that Diageo is such a fantastic company to work for so it's like a thousand people 
globally. Wow. They do this and they assign them the coach. And I remember sitting down with this coach and I was a bit sceptical about the whole thing because never, never had a coach before. And, and, you know, the first thing was to talk about your leadership journey and talk about, it, it, they didn't call it vulnerability, but it, it, that's what it was about. I'm, I know that. And it was like, okay, do I have to do this? Um, and and I don't, I, I'm okay doing it, but as long as I don't have to share it with anybody. <laughs> and she, she kind of went, that's the first thing you're going to do. And I was going, why, why would I, why would I choose to do this? Because these are all my inner insecurities. And I, I don't know when I was, I was probably mid thirties or something like that, maybe a bit, a bit older. And we had a big cohort of like a hundred people in the room and they asked people to stand up and share some of their, you know, their weaknesses and things like this. And you just saw these other people. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be the first. <laughs> uh, and someone else stands up and then they share. And it's exactly what you think. It's exactly what you, you were going through. And you're thinking, oh, my God, I can kind of resonate with that. So I, I think, you know, that was a kind of seminal moment for me because I felt, you know, I, I shared things with people I was very close to. Um, and I, I, I actually had shared some of that stuff with my direct leadership team, but I wouldn't have dreamt of doing it on a big stage. And I wouldn't have dreamt of doing it with the whole team or the whole business yeah. or anything like that. But it, it just taught me that that we're all they're all the same. We've all got those issues. So, I, you know, we've all got things that go on in our minds. We've got things we're good at and the things we're, we're not good at. So, so I, think, I think for me, you know, vulnerability is first and foremost, it's just about being human. And um, I, I remember... At the beginning of my career, looking at some very senior leaders and my the way I envisaged them was distant, you know, distant, detached. And I thought very early on in my career, that's what you needed to be to be successful, distant and detached and non-emotional and that kind of stuff. And I think I really knew deep down, I probably I wasn't mature enough to be able to articulate, but I think I knew deep down that's not me. And I remember thinking early on, well, I'm not going to be brilliantly successful. I'm not going to get to a really senior position because I can't be like that. And that moment at Diageo and that kind of experience got me to the point that says, no, actually, there's a different way of doing this. And you can be human and you can be transparent. And, and it's empowering it, it, because, because everybody thinks the same. And actually, if you share your vulnerabilities you share you know I, I do it now I share my doubts I share my you know I'm I'm, I'm prudent about how I do it because you got to think about the, the timing and the motives and the, and how people are going to take it but you know I will share doubts I will share my thinking I will share frustrations I'll share you know the bits that I'm not good at and the bits that other people are good at and and I just find it, it empowers people because everybody has it and and you know you 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 free people up to go be who they are, be the best that they can be because you're not trying to conform them and put them into some kind of constraint and say this is how you behave. It's a joy to hear you talking like that, and because I've seen you doing it as well. So so many people can you know talk the talk, but you actually work in that way. And and that word empowerment that you've just used, I guess, is is what I saw you demonstrate in terms of your immediate team and, and the wider team that you led. And let's just explore that for a little bit, you know, in terms of kind of command and control style leadership through to fully empowering your people to make it happen. Where are you? And, and what makes you that empowering leader? I think what uh, well, uh, I think my my overall philosophy is 
you know, the job of a leader is to create a direction, is to create a vision or a strategy. And not and by create, I don't mean go in a dark room and do it themselves, but, but you know, <laughs> work with people to go do it. But is to help set that direction, help set that vision. And then it is create the environment for your people to succeed and get out the way. Oh, that's I love the, that. That's the job. It's it's about you know, and I I, I remember I remember a, a a boss that I had at Diageo who I was I had a very difficult relationship with for a length of time. Very very challenging guy, and and I used to try and protect my team from him. So he would ask me questions, and I I he would give me a challenge, and I would think I don't know how to do that, and therefore I'm not. It's not really fair to ask my team to do that. And I remember having this conversation with him afterwards. I, I kind of rebuilt my relationship with him um, because my my you know I, I kind of worked out that that I needed to do that. And I said to him, "Did you know you were being unreasonable when you were challenging me?" And he said, "Yeah, absolutely." Um, and and he said. Do you know what? That philosophy of I don't want to ask anybody to do something I haven't done. He said, that's incredibly arrogant. And I went, I don't think I'm arrogant. Why is that arrogant? He said, you're assuming you know better than everybody else in your team. And I thought, oh, God, yeah, when you put it like that, I get where you're coming from. And actually, you know, that that whole thing. And I, I think I knew there were people, you know, I, there were people in my team. There have always been people in my team that have had strengths that I haven't had. So that empowerment is about allowing people to play to their strengths and about recognizing. And, and, you know, I learned that my job wasn't to know the answer. My job was to help my people find the answer. Um, and sometimes I sometimes I do know. It. I think I've got a bit of intelligence. You know, I've got a bit of experience now. There's a few things. But it, but that's not my job. My job isn't to come up with the answers. My job is to create the environment that allows people to to do it because actually they're a lot brighter and a lot more capable than I am flourishing that's what you create human flourishing yeah oh I love that you're making me get goosebumpy Ollie I love it (laughs) and and at this point then when I've got the goosebumps we're going to play the five second game rule so there is a game in this podcast it's going to put you under pressure but I know that you can do this so you're going to have five seconds to give me three answers to a couple of questions are you ready yeah go on okay so in the five second game rule ollie can you give me three traits of a successful person honest transparent driven oh straight in there off the bat in five seconds love it we'll do another one so in the five second game rule can you give me your three favorite books to kill a mockingbird um, alone on the wide, wide sea, which I read to my daughter. I know they've gone over five seconds now. Um, <laughs> Smiley's people. Which one? Tell me Smiley, the last one. Smiley's people. Oh, First John Le Carre book I ever read. Love it. So that might inspire someone to pick that up and give that one a go. And then we are at the point in the podcast for the killer question. Now, I know that you will answer this with something that everybody will be able to take away. We've had a different answer off every single person on the podcast. So be interested to get your view. What do you believe is the absolute secret to success? <sighs> oh, dear. That's a, that is a killer question. 
It's recognizing your own strengths and your own fallibilities. Nice. I, I think, you know, the, I, I think I know now, and I think I've no, you know, I know what I'm good at and I can still build on that. I also know what I'm not and I know my own traits. It's that, it's that self-awareness. I think you've just got to be aware of what you're good at and what you're, you're not good at and and how you interact with people and you know so forth i think that self-awareness is so so important and and as you say being open to the fact that it's okay not to be good at everything and that you can have fallibilities and that's cool yeah and i think you've got you know you've always got a there's that it's a balance between you know recognizing you're not good at something doesn't mean you can't improve it but equally don't you know so don't ever go well I'm, I'm rubbish at that therefore I'm never going to try um, but also go in actually who, you know who is good at those kind of things where is that kind of skill set and how do I bring those people in because they'll help me get a better answer rather than and I think when I certainly when I in my uh, my early career I thought it was all about me I thought I had to be the answer to everything and uh, <laughs> I you know, and, and you do. I think that's everybody does. You think, well, I've got to come up with all the all the answers to this because otherwise I'm not justifying my existence. And and as you get more senior and you realise that actually it's not, it's not about you at all. I love it. I love it. So that that surrounding yourself with the people who bolster the things that you're not quite so good at. Yeah. Such that you don't have to flog yourself trying to learn learn it all. I love it. Mm. Oh, do you know what? I knew that you would be a joy to have on the podcast and you haven't let me down. Very nice. Very nice of you to say so. <laughs> Sharing your insights. Absolute joy. Thank you very, very much, Ollie. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. No, it's been enjoyable. It's, 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 it's nice to take a, you know, to take a, a step back. I think, you know, I think I've certainly learned that over the years that that, you know, I have to build that into my schedule. I have to be able to take a step back and just reflect and be able to chat through things and bounce off different ideas. It gives you energy. It provides you energy. And um, especially at the moment in this kind of lockdown period, I've, I, I have to spend time. I get energy when I go talk to my team. So I have to put time in just to talk to them, not about anything particular, just to get, you know, bounce ideas off them and things like because it yeah. drives an energy you, you kind of it, it gets you back on you know but gets you back on track and it helps me kind of reset myself so yeah, nah, I really enjoyed it. human connection it's what it's all about so thank you very much and i look You're forward to speaking to you again lovely thanks angela i do hope that you enjoyed listening to the mindset mentor meets podcast if you did be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.